Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we dive into whether large language models can effectively supplant developers and DevOps engineers? This is a question we've been asking before, but this time we actually go deeper into how the models can be trained and can, if they can be trusted. What is the upside, the positive use case in which we really turn LLMs into the type of uh, wing person experts that they have the potential to be versus simply something that turns up the volume on how fast you generate code. We talk about the downsides of that type of a model and the potential positive upsides of how powerful using these tools as assistance could emerge to be. Uh, and could emerge is, I think, a key aspect here where we're thinking about what is the potential to really transform and improve the outcome for work rather than just being a faster uh, coder. Uh, so I know we will uh, dive into all these questions and I know you will enjoy it. I want to I ask you, Rob, about going back to your article and the one that you you incorporated in in the uh, schedule and the and that I remember you writing and then kind of reporting on <laughs> and, I've been, and I've been working towards yep yeah the glucon stuff and so um I I went back and reread the you know the SK um mm. post and 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 um and Adrian's uh, post, and I didn't get the sense from Adrian that he was calling out um, technical debt as a as a threat. So that I wanted to make sure I understood what you were referring to when you called and, when you and, pointed to him. And this, keep going. Sorry, I shouldn't interrupt you. And the other, the other side. On, you know the SK Ventures stuff. Um, I think we all had it. Well, I had I had a, some reservations about the conversation. I remember talking you to you just just before you went, and I I don't know if there was any any clarification there. But I I really would like to understand one point in particular. Okay, and that is the assumption that. AI LLMs in being incorporated into DevOps is about working faster as opposed to quality of the quality of the operations. That's the key. This is, I think, what's what's unclear and I'm trying to, to figure out. Um, okay. And I uh I think there's a lot of enthusiasm like the SK Ventures post has that has a lot of enthusiasm for um, I'll, add, I'll even add the adjective breathless enthusiasm because um, to their to their to their credit, he's, he, they're trying to do the right thing. And they just rebranded Glucon to SW2Con, which I think is an interesting, um, interesting conceit with this, where there's an element of 
um, being very enthusiastic that something has changed in the market in the way we 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 do the work. Um, Mm-hmm. And I think this, this you know, like with the printing press going from handwritten copying to wide replication. And so he, they're, they're trying to, to look at that, that type of transformative technology. Um, so I, I, there's, an, there's an interesting question there. I was just on a call yesterday where we were talking about, you know, what are the picks and, you know, strip all this away. What are the changes to picks and shovels? Like the, the, the core tech that, that were the core things that you need to make this stuff go faster. Um, what, and we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago where we recategorized technical debt as uh, maintenance, future maintenance. And, and so one of the things I think was not well assigned in that um article and i think in my conversations in the past is i looked at i've been using technical debt to um imply future maintenance of code and so so i i make a and y'all corrected this last time when i really i really liked it's been having me think about it that anytime you build code um i've always said it you you're creating technical debt what you're really creating is is a maintenance obligation for that code mm-hmm. um and I think those are often conflated in in part in industry parlance, but I, I think are actually worth noting because technical debt really should mean I did something expeditiously, um, knowing it wasn't wasn't well wasn't done to standards so that I could accomplish something. It was expedient. Expedient. Right. Um, and so, ah, uh, the 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 challenge that. I see is I, I I do think that there is a huge push in market for people to be expedient um, in in their work. And I, I I feel like there's a broader challenge that we are not asking people to do work that has long-term durability, where we're not using, we don't have a good way to measure it. We don't have a good way to test it. We certainly don't incent people um, to do that. And one of the interesting things about the AI phrase at the moment, um, or the way people are, are using it, is they are, because of all that pressure to work faster, but not work together. I, I, I think these AI tools by design are helping people work faster. They're not, they're not helping people work together. And that, okay, that's so- my concern. Uh, weirdly they could but the collaborative so you're you're pointing out collaborative work so kind of coordinated 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 devops let's call it Um, there there was a a really good example in the session actually at vmware that uh, diana and i were both in where mm -hmm. they were um demonstrating Oh man, they didn't actually demonstrate this. They just talked about it. But um, they were they, VMware as a test used its own code base to train a model to make prompt to make um, uh, AI chatbot support for VMware engineers using in VMware's code base. Does that make sense? So, so I am a VMware mm-hmm. code programmer. It's it's C. It's incredibly complex. It's got twenty years of institutional knowledge with very strict controls and governance and things like that. Um, Chat GPT 
could help you write C. It cannot help you write VMware C. And the reason? Um, because in at VMware, they have style, they have patterns, they have institutional knowledge, they have um, variable naming convention, they have all this stuff that goes into how they're doing it. Now, the, the danger here is that ChatGPT could get you very close or the appearance of close because it'll help you write C code. There's no doubt. Um, but it won't help you write VMware C code because it doesn't know anything about VMware C code. And since it hasn't, uh, it hasn't been trained or it hasn't, doesn't have access to a, a, it hasn't been a, trained. Repo a repository and, that is specific. Correct. And there's, you know, as we all know with these LLMs is it's not actually following any rules. <laughs> So it's not like it's it's ingesting VMware's rules for coding. It's just learning from the body of code that, that VMware has established. So what VMware did is they they had a they they trained a model to include all their code base, and then they let their their programmers use that uh, prompting tool. Um, I'm trying to. It's like code. There's a word code guardian or code. Like a code, code copilot. Co it's a code pilot. Yeah. yeah, code pilot is the is the phrase people are using. And and with what result? Um, this is what's weird. Their 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 test was on if people liked it or not and felt that it was helpful. It wasn't particularly qualitative. Quantitative. It was sort of qualitative. And you know, yeah, a lot of the like people like sounds it. like it's brand new. So there probably isn't any any way to quantify its its impact. And and what what I was what I was sad they didn't have is more concrete examples on you know here is here's um, they did have something where they showed this is the prompt that you would have gotten if you were just using ChatGPT on our library. If, no, if you asked for a library. They, they did. This was a, a concrete example. Um, if you ask for the prompt to write a routine without being using the VMware trained data, you got a, a reasonable answer, but it wasn't particularly VM flavored. If you made the same prompt from it after it had been trained with VMware's data, it actually used VMware's uh, naming convention and parameters and like it, it, it did for that for that engineering team. It did a much better job on how things were how things were going. I, I don't know that it was smart enough to be like, oh, this routine looks like these other routines. Maybe you should, you know, consider, you know, looking at this library or refactoring for this or something like that. That's where I think we we want to go with it. Um, but right. that but the ability to train on your own code base and your own rule set is actually compelling. And this is what a lot of folks are working on right now. And then, if if I had to if I had to do just kind of a rough take on what I've been hearing and seeing from people with whom I've been speaking, um, there's a lot of attention to the incorporation of LLMs, generative AI. That is specific to the enterprise, to the company that's you know that's developing it, that embodies their own policies, their own standards, their own approach to 
um, programming, uh, even to the point where they're be, one of the things they're clearly doing is taking extensive looks at their API documentation, both the formal documentation mm. and the informal documentation that they the write-ups the okay the and and like their slack channels that. and stuff okay exactly and they're throwing that into into these um um what they're calling regs which i can never remember what it stands for but what it basically is is a separate isolated language model and database combination that is trained on specifically the techniques and 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 uh, approaches being used by the by the enterprise and the general purpose foundation models are being used as an interlocutor it's being they're kind of being used as the the front end the ui for for people and the source of of knowledge and the source of real um real value in these things comes from these kind of sequestered you know smaller smaller language models smaller databases quite focused and that is more well first of all it's faster it's less expensive than actually going and trying to retrain one of those foundational models to incorporate you know just which is out of out of the question for most people so um i've had two conversations in the last week with big companies and notable uh software companies and SaaS. one's a software company one's a SaaS company and um they're they're really really going at it especially in this form as as in trying to help their teams get do a better job of working within the the code base they've got mm -hmm. uh, that to me, that's where that i think that's very exciting because the roi on those improvements is is you know big you're 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 not expanding your code base you're yeah. hopefully yeah, you're improving. This is not working faster. This is improving the quality of what's what's being developed. And so, I, so, I guess so I have I'm, a question. Mm -hmm. Sorry to interrupt you, Rich, but no, no. There, there's many topics that have been discussed here. One is the longevity of software being questioned. <clears throat> I write code. I'm trying to be expedient about doing it. I'm not necessarily looking at the quality. I'm trying to be expedient, right? That was the original. And the question of longevity and how long that piece of code is supposed to endure is not being measured in any way, right? Because it's part of a product. That's number one. Number two, on these iterations, small language model iterations that you're referring to now, if you get a piece of code from a software vendor, it's like a cake mix. How fast you beat it, how exactly how much liquid you add to the milliliter, the 
calibration of your oven, all of that sort of stuff, none of it is standardized. So what you're talking about with VMware and using the small language model to improve the quality of the code really comes down to which engineer or which programmer wrote what line of code in collaboration or in a vacuum and how was that actually implemented in the customer side, which could be chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, kumquat, you name the flavor. because all you got was a piece of software that's like a cake mix. In particular, companies like SAP are going to have huge issues by doing this because suddenly as their rewritten code gets pushed back on their customer who has for 40 years bastardized their code at every implementation point because no two companies are the same. No two visions of what there the right. solution should be absolutely supports the argument that you are creating technical debt every which way. That's two points. The third point is, in the process of doing this, how are they not breaking their own moat? Breaking their own moat? Oh, yes. Interesting. Who's the right, they here? Who's, who's the they in this in this yeah. case? Pardon me? Who's the they that's Are you saying like v- VMware? The ISV? Whether it's VMware or or SAP, anybody, right? They're opening the door because if you think about it six months from now, you just rewrote code using an, a, a small language model to quote unquote improve its quality quality, you push that out as a patch or fix to a customer whose software system suddenly goes as a result, because that particular piece of code no longer functions in their environment the way they've either A, bastardized it, or B, originally got it and never updated it. And how is that different from when an engineer at VMware writes a piece of code without the benefit but needs to do a patch and it gets to deliver it out to customer. Why is the quality? But, well, why is the, 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 the idea that the VMware engineer, this is right now they're doing it mostly in blind or adding a whole bunch of time and tests and things like that over top. The idea that you might actually have a code assistant who's going to review it against the standards that they have in other across their code base. Um, and generate and great. generate and generate tests and generate right and 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 you know the you know i guess my point here is any i mean seems great but i'm 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 not following some parts of your argument there joanne well my argument is yes i agree that you could be producing a certain amount of technical debt but my bigger concern is in terms of the proprietary aspects of certain code Mm. cannot really be considered proprietary if you're using a copilot to rewrite that that code and change it in a way that then makes it non-functional for your customer base. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like you're familiar Mm. with SAP. Uh, yeah. You know how particular the each install is different. 
You right. know that over periods of every, time, every every like one it. of them is is customized is it, to the uh, point of of just right. craziness. Right. So, but that's not why, that's not necessarily creating business advantage here. <laughs> that's yeah, the point, I, right? I, I guess I'm I'm trying to understand if uh, if what if if what a an SAP engineer writes and designs and gets incorporated into the district the next distribution mm-hmm. is um meets the appropriate internal standards it's maintainable it's tested uh, it probably with some hopefully it's actually undergone more tests and more rigorous or at least important and and relevant testing before getting pushed out because the 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 premise here is this patch is critical these customer this customer or these customers are very important get this puppy out there fix the problem if that solution is in fact better in the sense that it doesn't break something else mm-hmm. it's it main it is it creates um a piece of software underpinning that actually remains in place and unaltered for a longer period of time than a quick patch why is this breaking the moat i didn't because get Oh, okay. So when I when I say breaking the moat, what I'm referring to is you now went and created something that you're pushing out that is no longer usable, let's say, for certain customers. It may be perfectly designed for, you know, the top 1% of your customers, but the second percentage no longer fun it, it no longer functions for that group. But why now they come back to you and they say, you know, this is unusable. This renders our systems unusable. But why are you assuming that when they use the AI, it is going to be so specific and so, you know, targeted towards one customer or a small group of customers, if in fact the principles that are being adopted here are don't break the systems for the the great majority of our customers, fix it such that it's fixed for, you know, whoever's, you know, the, the loudest, squeakiest wheel but do so in such a way that you do not have um a that kind of repercussion there was an assumption in there that you that i didn't quite follow that's and it's not that okay okay perhaps i misspoke but really what i'm trying to get to is there's patch and fix or new feature function based on a customer demand. And then there's using an LLM or a small language model to go back through your code to quote unquote, improve its quality 
based on some set of values, right? You're doing it for a reason. Is it because you were working on expediency in a vacuum and not in a collaborative way originally? Uh, was it was it the level of skill of the programmer who actually did the coding or the engineer who did the coding? Whatever those whatever those terms and conditions were, you're now going mm-hmm. back to make the code better or make it have a longer shelf life. But in the process of doing that, when you push it out, you realize that this is not a fix or a, an update. This is more like a re-architecture of the code. It's like when they went from on-premise to cloud and nobody could do it, right? Still, a majority of SAP customers can't move their stuff to the cloud, period, full stop. Mm-hmm. This I, I see I as being an I, I still don't see, right? I, I mean, my concern would be that you've got developers who are using the general models and then showing up and thinking that they're solving problems, but it's just, they're square pegging a whole bunch of stuff. What, what Rich is talking about, what I, what I, what I think is necessary is that we're actually doing the opposite. We're, we're bringing in expert guidance to evaluate the current code and then give you, it's like having, you know, a skilled senior developer looking at your code and helping you do that work. They, their ability to improve their code base over time should accelerate dramatically on the assumption that that they're actually there. I think there's a safe assumption here that if that working code is, is better to use as a screening thing than, than what's in the models. I, I would love to see, and this isn't the case, new foundational models for development trained on curated best practices coding. Mm-hmm. All right. That's okay. and, and maybe maybe there's maybe there's an evolution in here where we're looking at specialized foundational models that are used, trained on more vetted, and that's a small model. In the and in the last two weeks, um Llama 2 has it has released or has announced the release of Code Llama, which is been trained on it is specifically for code. It has been trained on um, a quite large number of um, heavily used languages. Mm. And they then announced a specific, a specialized version of Code Llama for Python. Mm-hmm. And these are being developed and released in models of the, you know, kind of 7 billion parameter, 13 and 30 billion parameters, such that in the 7 billion category, an individual literally running the um, this small language model on a desktop is feasible and they are coding assistant in the way that rob has just described that is this is an experienced architect and developer assisting the programmer in the construction of whatever their their objective is in writing it and that strikes me as kind of the right way to think about it and the right way to go about it. And 
yeah, it will probably take some of these companies much longer than a month or two months to gen these things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in point of fact, there are a number of uh, efforts, both from the hyperscalers and from the, um, the more open source folks to literally address how you build these smaller language models and what in my mind is most important, how they work with other kinds of databases besides just these autoregressive databases. And that means they're working with autoregressive or, or generative AI. Generative okay. AI oh, okay. uses autoregression. That's sorry Thank for the Thank you. No, sorry no, for the geek, sorry for the geek speak. Sorry uh, for the geek speak. Uh it's the the point here is they're not a number of them have gone to GPT, chat GPT. They've been looking at how to you know specialize the the basically the how to, how to incorporate their own specialized versions and their own you know rules and regs for for putting software in place and they're finding it's still not sufficiently um valuable which is why they're also investigating and there's some interesting work going on in how you make one of these large small language models work with graph databases with some other mm-hmm. kinds of uh, other kinds of data databases and uh, with some really interesting and really very encouraging result so, so then, i guess i'm yeah so then that's a I, I mean it's a very valid set of points i guess i'm looking at it from the point of view of i read something and i'm trying to put my finger my brain on the finger of it to say this is what i was reading and this is why it became of concern Mm-hmm. Because oh yes, I re- do remember what it was. Uh, it was either in a, it was in a Substack. It was talking about the article was written by a coder and talking about the idea that if a co-pilot went back and looked at his code with five years experience versus ten years experience, how many is sort of quality issues would arise, and how the coding itself his own coding had evolved to be less messy more articulate uh smoother all of those kinds of words wrapped around it so when we're talking about this i said and i hear what you're saying and i say to myself but it's the it's going to end up being multi flavors of the same thing based on the uh evolution if you will of the code base and how are you going to, like, what's the advantage of doing this other than you have a quality issue and you're, or you haven't measured the quality of your code or the longevity of it? How are you now going to use a small language model to do that or to write code faster? To write code faster, I completely agree with, as long as the models are not hallucinating. But on the other side of it, 
what is it really like? Is it raising more issues than it's satisfying? I guess is the right word. Rich, you're telling me that it's not raising well, those. No, kinds of issues. I'm, I'm. I'm just. Or, saying, or rather, it may not be. I'm not. I'm. I. I quite frankly, I don't think anybody's been doing this long enough to know what issues it's raising, what long-term issues. But it, what they are incorporating is. Um, review and what mm -hmm. they are incorporating is um separate independently developed ais that are literally doing qa and long longitudinal uh mm -hmm. analysis of what's getting generated looking at um trouble tickets generated when this is being done with SaaS in particular services in, in, in kind of um, ITSM and ITOM services you know, in, from, that are cloud-based. And that is the whole purpose, you know, to actually look at the various means by which you establish what is better and it's not just the speed, it's, you know, for some value of quality, you know, does it fix the problem? Does the problem recur elsewhere? Does it cause, you know, a network effect of product of, of problems? You know, all of those things are going into the analysis. And I think that that's a rational and a reasonable way to take any new technology and apply it to something like DevOps. And so my, I guess my question here is, is the, is the question one of people are just ascribing far too much to the tools, to the LLMs and <laughs> rushing willy nilly into throwing them at the at the at the development process and at the DevOps processes and just being being kind of silly or naive in their belief in these things, or are we also now looking at people who are taking a what I would consider a much more uh, rational and a long-term view of this and imposing on its use the thing, same thing you would do with any new technique, new, new individual, new team, a new approach to, to programming, a new programming language. You mm -hmm. put it into practice. You sequester it you watch it carefully and you look at the 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 impact you know i i i grant you that you know the notion here this this will get into our you know the the you know the death of expertise art uh issue and that is Suddenly, everybody is an expert VMware pro, uh, programmer, <laughs> right? You're, you're very. It's a very way to. Yes, that's right. Is this, everybody is everybody now an expert? Mm -hmm. No, not, mm -mm. my not. they they are definitely not. But if 
I can improve across the board anybody who aspires to be a VMware developer has gone through at least some basis on which to, you know, understand how to build this code, how to build these ops. Yeah. I'm that's, gonna, that's you know, where sign me up. Get very, very interesting from that perspective. I this is this is the ah. I think, and and it's funny in some ways, the infrastructure side is even worse because is infrastructure is not just the code in front of you. You actually have to understand the target. That's what people forget yeah. with all the automation that people are building. It's like the automation controls something else. It's not in itself yeah. um, anything. Exactly. So you know, you're you're leading my brain down the road that says. <clears throat> In short order, once they go through all of this analysis, will it be AI that writes the next iteration of a code base for a software vendor? If VMware oh. trains the model, I, creates the I, copilot, oh, has all the engineers yeah. described. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know at what point you turn it over completely to an AI to not I I would actually say that it's your elders writing it, not the AI at that at that point. Um, but it, it's it's a funny it's a funny question from that perspective. Um, yeah. Because yeah, right, what you're what you're really doing is you're saying the fact that we hired good experts in the past and built something that, that's worked and time tested is the is the way that we're getting good time tested code yeah. in the future. Um, just like a lot of the other challenges we're going to have with AI from that perspective. I'm I'm old enough to remember engine, you know, software engineers or developers, coders, programmers, as they were known, um, complaining about uh, high-level language compilers. Yeah, you know, me too. They're inefficient. They're inefficient. Yeah. They don't do the right thing all the time. You know, let me let me get at those those you know tight loops here let me let me get rid of the if statements let me let me let me tweak this puppy uh, <laughs> i don't know i i i understand the concern but i think there is like almost anything else if you find something that is that good at improving the quality of a larger number of professionals to do their job, then I'm all for it. Mm -hmm. But it's there's a rational and there is a you know there is a, a way of taking any any tools, any of these things, and you know adopting them and adapting them mm -hmm. in a rational fashion. And we have had, uh, what's the Greenspan, uh, irrational exuberance, exuberance yeah. uh, around, around uh, AI. And, you know, I go on and, and, and have played with and seen some of the stuff that shows up on YouTubes, for example, and they're they're toys. They don't work. They bear or they barely work, and they break. <laughs> I mean, it's like no. 
I'm sorry, I'm not entrusting my systems to these things, not for a, not the way these guys are are cranking it out. So no, but I mean, you know, Diana, you wanted to say something, so I'm I'm not gonna take more than two seconds to to finish off of Rich, which is <clears throat> think about the fact that you're not only training the AI to make the code better but you're teaching it all of the code base that existed to begin with. Therefore, that institutional knowledge and expertise is now contained within a tool that thinks differently than the original elder that wrote it, but may, and may have an expedience goal mm -hmm. or, or agenda, may have a collaborative goal or, or agenda, any mm -hmm. kind of, you know, verbiage you want to put around that. What, so right. why wouldn't you trust it? I, I would I mean I would expect and this is what my hope would be it would some the AI would come back and say hey there's code in this other place of the code base that could be adapted to use what you want and you could actually go and like improve like pay down technically there's there's amazing things that we can do if we're using these systems to analyze the code that we're doing that we have right, right? It, it has to have the knowledge of what you're doing the context of what you're doing. And that's, that's where that to me is where the, the original, and I'm still doing talks about this and trying to help people see how much, mm -hmm. how careful they have to be. If you're using these generic models that don't have the expertise and knowledge in your system, they're, they're going to pull you down practices that are not, you know, um, considered for your, your environment. They're going to do actually exactly what the, um, I would, uh, <laughs> wait, I'm going to see if I can, term something it's an ai seagull um <laughs> from this this perspective right if you're asking it if you're asking it, these tools to work in without knowledge of what your environment is it's an ai seagull right um diana if you, ask, do you do you know do you, did the analogy because you didn't get you didn't here's the no, analogy the sea the sea the seagull is there, there's um bosses who are described as seagulls or experts who are described as seagulls they fly in, they look around, they poop on everything and then leave. Oh. <laughs> so that's the, that's the, you're running the risk of it being an AI seagull. That's Where do you, as we kind of come close to the end here. Yeah. Given the amount of time you spent thinking about it, speaking about it, so forth, where do you come down on the use of AI in DevOps today? Mm. Uh, I think it's incredibly risky today um, because, because the infrastructure behind it is, it has no context to make judgments about what's really going on. And I don't think, and I'm actually in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be doing training to help people think about this better. I don't, people have to be taught to prompt to give people enough context about what you're building to do a good job doing that building. Absolutely. What we're, it's, it's funny, what we're really talking about is using the same models, but having them be prompted and trained on your, on a more, you know, more tightly defined thing. And so, and, and, and assessed. And assessed and the, on the output too. And so I, I am incredibly optimistic that these tools can be used to really highlight ways in which people can collaborate better extend and use the code they have better work within the the practices that they have 
I, I'm incredibly optimistic because I think our biggest problem when we look at, at use of our system, which is a, focused on integration, is they don't see things that are already, the tools already available. And what, what happens in DevOps is we have a tendency to not look for the right tool for the job, but to keep fashioning them out of bubble gum and duct tape. And so what our biggest challenge is, is not whether the system can do the things that our, our customers need, need them to do. It's actually, can we help them find the ways that already does it and teach them to use the, the current rather than build a new Ansible script or a bash script or a new Terraform plan that does mm. something we already do or that, you know, we already got 85% of the way there. And if they invested their time, they would have a reusable tool for the next time. And it, it you know, it'd be like training. I love the analogies to the trades. It'd be like training somebody to be an electrician who was like, I don't want to use the standard wiring and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to build my, I'm going to, you know, braid my own wire <laughs> and who cares about the color coding conventions that you have, or any, I'm just going to do it um, because they can't be bothered to, to learn what's, how things are done. And it, even if they follow the color coding and so forth, the idea of inventing or creating a, a new piece of code when in fact there probably is something that's already in existence or or functionality in the uh, you know base functionality that can be uh, can be utilized to solve the problem expediency says it's just like going and searching for stuff in a data lake you yeah, know that's a good uh, it takes me it takes me too long to find the stuff i need i'll just generate it and, well, and, and the problem with the history and the training libraries we have is we have so few standards on the DevOps automation side. Coding is actually much higher repetitive, repetitiveness. In the DevOps training stuff, people solve the same problem so many different ways um, that, yeah. you know, you, you, it's, it's very hard to know what you should do. Part of, I mean, this, and, I, and we are out of time, I need to jump. Um, Part of our benefit is just coming in with a way to be more opinionated. <laughs> not even it's not even the, having opinions. It's just like, hey, we're going to help you enforce opinions. Um, you know, it helps to have some to start. But anyway, I do have to run. Uh, I will see you all next week. Thank you. Bye. 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 Wow, what a thoughtful conversation. This is a place where I really like that we are looking at how the technology could be shaped, how the positive outcomes of these technologies uh, are being examined. And we are thinking through how we want the systems to behave uh, and what could be a positive impact in the industry and really transformative in so many people's lives and daily jobs. If this is interesting to you, and I, I if you're listening now, it probably was, uh, that you would come and join us, be part of these conversations. The more insights we have, the more questions, thoughts, the better. And we would love to have you be part of the 2030.cloud conversation. You can find out our full schedule, be part of our book club. We're talking about death of expertise next. Uh, find out that and more at the 2030.cloud and look for our agenda link. I'll see you there.
Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.